Welcome to the Radical Reverend Show, last show of the season. Uh, yes, it is. And we'll see you in September as the song goes. Uh, but uh, certainly we had to do this show because we have to talk about what happened in Ontario and the Ontario election. And to do so is our left, left, or leftist panel uh, guests, uh, frequent guests. And that's Nora Loretto, uh, author, journalist, uh, writer of at least two books, Spin Doctors and Take Back the Fight and Alex Grant, editor of Fight Back Magazine um, and um, part of Marxist.ca. So we're gonna talk, unlike the mainstream media, from the left, lefter, leftist point of view. Um, Nora, just broad strokes, first of all. Uh, surprises, not surprises, what? Uh, yes, uh, so the results are not at all surprising. I will point to a couple of things that are surprising. Uh, I, I am a bit surprised that Mike Schreiner won with the biggest vote margin in the province. I'm surprised a little bit. I mean, I'm not surprised because I know the campaign, but I, I'm, I'm happily surprised to see that Joel Harden got the highest number of votes outright in the province. Uh, I'm surprised at the independent who won from Haldem in Norfolk. Like that is just so surprising. And it's it's a conservative split. Someone who worked for the for the for the previous um, MPP, Toby Barrett. That's that I think that's a good reminder to people that it is possible to win it as an independent in this province. Um, you just have to uh, work very hard. And um, that's probably it as far as the surprises go. Um, I, I, none of the results really surprised me uh, at all. And I, I mean, I guess maybe I would have said that the liberals were in party territory, but even that um, wasn't too surprising that they, didn't, that they didn't get that party status for a second election in a row. Alex, broad strokes, surprises not. <laughs> uh, the only thing I found surprising was actually how badly the liberals did that they were four or 5% below where they were polling. And, and, and I think just extreme apathy. I wasn't surprised at the extreme apathy. I saw it on the streets, everybody I talked to, anybody under the age of, I don't know, 87, no, 30, um, was totally apathetic about the election. And, and, that, and that fed into the bad result for the Liberals and the NDP. Um, and and I, I, so that, that is the real story. It's not so much that Ford won, it is the Liberals and the NDP lost. And I guess the, even though the, uh, the Liberals and the NDP had exactly the same vote, or was it 23, 24%, the, the NDP got a lot more seats. So I guess the NDP efficiency and ground game was better than the the liberals uh, efficiency and ground game that they're probably their organization is a total disaster but uh, the NDP were just circling the wagons and saving some most of the seats they had not all they lost well they lost eight or nine or something like that and um, but uh, it wasn't as bad as the liberals for the same vote count but utter disaster, very disappointing result, not a surprising result, and a failure of the left, failure of liberal reformism. That, that's, uh, it's not that Ford won, it's liberal reformism lost. Yes, uh, we're talking here on the Radical Reverend Show, if you've just tuned in, and oh, by the way, I should mention too, if you haven't donated, please donate to the show. Shows people are listening, I know people are listening, but, uh, but yes, the, the station is still trying to make their, um, their goal of 100,000. So it'd be great if you gave us a shout out and a donation out there. And thank you to those who did. Uh, yeah, for me, um, the real surprise was the uh, historically low turnout, like 42%. So really, when you look at the numbers, um, and I've been sort of updating them this morning, is you know something like 17.8% of the province voted for Ford for a huge majority. So it shows the complete and utter brokenness of our first past the post system, clearly not democratic in the, you know, in the extreme. Um, and uh, there was the, as Alex, as you said, yeah, there was the none of the above vote. It's people who just stayed home. Um, and uh, absolutely the liberal collapse was dramatic. I, I saw it in my own riding in Parkdale High Park where, you know, I just kind of tootled around um, the day of the election. I've been out of the country and I couldn't find a liberal sign. 
it's been always like liberal NDP fight here. And they're just, did they not have signs? I mean, they're very, very few. So, so complete collapse on the ground there, which was surprising, but not. Um, I, I, you know, I, I was on TVO last night and I said, I, I think this is, it shows the defeat of really neoliberalism that the center has fallen out of the game. We're dealing with right-wing populism and we're not dealing with a left counterpart right now on the electoral horizon. Um, so let's dig deep into, into that a little bit. Um, and I know we've talked about this many times on the show, but uh, so now uh, both Del Duca and Andrew Horvath have resigned. That was a slight bit of a surprise. I mean, there's no question that they would have mm. resigned anyway, but that they did it the night of. Last night. Yeah, clearly, um, clearly made it, you know, something that was, you know, that decided well in advance of this. Um, but leadership, leadership in the NDP, where's, where's forward for the NDP? Uh, as far as you're concerned, what would make it the viable alternative to take Doug Ford out in four years? Nora. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I thought that the, that the tenor of the two speeches was also very interesting. You had a teary eyed, like Horvath had obviously been crying a lot. Um, so that says to me that she was surprised, I guess. Um, uh, whereas Del Duca was almost kicking his heels up in happiness that he lost. Like he, he definitely, he, he was like, he said on stage how, you know, he's bringing his kids to Wonderland uh, on the weekend, right? Which just says to me, like, this guy got his life back and he made a terrible mistake even running for the first place and he was thrilled by it. Um, and so that was a kind of an interesting thing um, that I, I want to just identify because it was very, the, 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 the contrast between the two was quite um, interesting, I guess. Uh, leadership wise, I mean, you know, the, the, the NDP, like for me, the fact that they lost Gilles Bisson is such an, like an interesting example of the party's incapacity to it was organize. A huge, it was a huge swing as well, wasn't it? He got crushed. As well. He got crushed. Yeah. And I mean, it's not the same riding that he's represented forever, right? There's, there was a division with Mushkagoic St. James, uh, sorry, James Bay, um, which had been part of Timmins James Bay. However, he, he was elected since 1990. He's the only one of the of Ray's cabinet that is still around. And Ford went to Timmins a lot. He promised things like bringing back passenger rail to Northern Ontario. Like he, as much as, as, as people are, are very quick to identify that this is a, a win for the right, Ford won by promising things that people need. And we can talk about how corrupt he is. We can talk about how terrible he is and all that kind of, but, but you know, bringing back the Northlander is a huge, huge demand for folks in the North. And that's just one example. I mean, this was, this was happening all over, um, all over the province and, and he knows where to win. I mean, he walked into this with 60 safe seats per polling, 60. I mean, we can say we want about polling, but that th those kinds of polls, when you can identify a safe seat, those are solid polls. Like they're not going to be surprise upsets. Right. However, that doesn't answer the question that you asked. The leadership in the NDP. I mean, I, I don't have a ton of confidence. I mean, how many times do we have to go through this? I don't have a ton of confidence that the, that the leadership race is gonna change all that much. There's a lot of people that need to leave. And I don't know who has the guts to start firing people. Um, I, you know, every made, people made a big point about Joel Harden being the first one last night to, to kind of call for or suggest that Andrea needs to go. Uh, I don't know if that indicates that he's the one thinking that he could be leading the Ontario NDP. He certainly has the chops and the background experience. And obviously he can organize considering that he was not the candidate that they wanted in that riding in the first place, that he organized to take that riding over from the, 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 the established preferred candidate. Um, and then of course, winning with 30,000 uh, votes, uh, the highest of anyone in the province is, is an indication that he knows what he's doing. Um, so Joel is obviously an interesting candidate. Marriott Stiles is an interesting candidate uh, as well. Um, I think Patila Kar Karpash is an interesting candidate too. Um, but it really, I, like, these are not questions based on people's politics, I don't think. I don't think that there's going to be very large debates about like, should the NDP call for public health care or should the NDP call for, you know, saving the environment? It's really going to be a question of philosophy and, and what's the role of a social democratic party under the, like the constraints and the context. Um, it is possible to unseat Doug Ford, uh, of course, but not at all with the way that the NDP has been running itself. Um, I mean, we can say probably ever, which then suggests that maybe the problem is the party itself. Alex, leadership, NDP. Yeah. Well, 
First of all, let's talk about old leadership. Andrew Horvath should have resigned years ago, right? That uh, she, she wanted one last roll of the dice to try and become premier and she's dumped Ontario in this situation. So she should have resigned years ago. And, and in terms of why the NDP did so badly, well, lost something like 10% of its vote, uh, is there was nothing to care about. There's absolutely nothing to care about. That I, I, actually, I think it's you know, the low turnout, the fact that Ford's vote went from 2.3 million to 1.8 million. He lost half a million votes and still got a landslide, right? This was because the NDP, despite all of the unpopularity of Ford during COVID and during his attacks on the public sector, uh, the NDP couldn't put up a viable opposition. That would attack the system, right? You've got you've actually got people like Polyev and on, on the right attacking the system from the right. Nobody's doing that on the left. And then the minute you, if you're not attacking the system, people think, well, you're not serious. Doesn't matter what your promises are. Doesn't matter what your platform is. You're going to betray. You're going to sell out. You're going to not going to put in anything. You're going to just be just like Bob Wright. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, I think so. We do have to figure out how we got here. And then and and that and that tells us about new leadership. Well, I, 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 Joel Harden, yeah, he's got a, a left image. I'm not convinced he's left enough. I'm, I'm not convinced he, like, he's probably got a good chance of winning the leadership. Um, but there's, there's not much left left in the NDP. Uh, there's no left left, <laughs> right? That there's, a, there's, you know, I'm a passive member of the NDP and I, I you know, I am, I vote, I live in Danforth, I voted for Peter Tabbins, you know, he got, he got a decent vote and, but it's not welcoming to socialists. The NDP is not welcoming to socialists and, and, and there's not much socialist organizing inside the NDP either. So I, I don't know, even, even if uh, Joel wins, I've, I've seen him flip-flop on issues and pretend, you know, I got in this mini debate with him about the NDP's housing platform, and he was pretending it was really left. In fact, it mm -hmm. wasn't. It was affordable housing. It, he never mentioned public housing and barely mentioned social housing, right? And, and you've got to say, you've got to say, affordable housing is a con. Affordable, mm -hmm. affordable housing is a trick. Only publicly owned social housing, only that can solve the housing crisis, which everybody cares about. It's a, up in the polls. It's uh, inflation and housing crisis. Those are the two main issues. Right. And the, what did the NDP say? Absolutely nothing that delineated them from the Liberals or anyone else. Uh, actually, we mentioned the, the Greens did OK. Actually, I think I think uh, the Greens actually appeared to be something different, unlike the Liberals and the NDP. Uh, so sh I'm not surprised Shriner did well. Um, that I think they're the only people who can actually hold their head up to a certain extent that I, and Shriner did OK in the debates as well. So. Um, uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a small influx of young people into the Greens. Uh, not that I'm in favour of the Greens, but uh, in terms of appearing different and appearing against the establishment, against the status quo, there's a little bit of that from the Greens, but absolutely none of that from the NDP. Uh, speaking here on Left Lefter, Leftist on the Radical Reverend Show uh, to uh, Alex Grant, editor of Fight Back, and also Nora Loretta, uh, author of several books, including Spin Doctors Take Back the Fight and Journalist, about, of course, the Ontario election. Um, so my two cents, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of leadership hopefuls, um, Joel's one of them, of course. I think Marit Stiles is another. Um, I would also add to that list Kristen Wong-Tam. Um, um, partly diversity, I think we, we need somebody different than uh, another white guy. Um, but also, and Butilla, of course, um, was my EA, worked with her for eight years, so know her well. Um, but I hear you. I mean, uh, unless the party apparatus is shifted, including chief of staff and others there, uh, the same kind of uh, the same kind of atmosphere is going to be rampant there. 
which is barely social democratic uh, at this point. I mean, interestingly enough, nowhere in the platform was the kind of thing that, you know, we spoke, I spoke about in, when I was in Spain for a month with my son, you know, to people, you know, it, isn't it great that most of Europe has free university education, you know, and that you get paid to go to university, like simple, classic social democratic uh, uh, calls like that, um, not even on the horizon. And yes, you're right, the NDP housing platform is ridiculous, helping people buy their first home, really, give me a break. Um, the average house in, in Toronto is like a million bucks or something. So, I mean, really, that's ridiculous. Um, uh, and I agree. I think the right wing has taken the language, right? They're anti-elite. Um, they're anti-establishment. The uh, they're, you know, like uh, they hate Trudeau, you know, like because he's, you know, representative of all of that. Uh, and yet we're not hearing that language in the left, right? Which is, it's our language, right? We're not hearing it from the NDP. So, so um, I, I, I hope, I mean, the other problem too is of course they to be lost their seats to conservatives. So we now have trade unions supporting conservatives coming out in support of the, we had union leaders standing by Doug Ford, you know, for that ridiculous $15, you know, an hour minimum wage, which he, Ford eliminated, you know, and then brought back. Uh, um, so the real problem, I, another real problem, I think, is union leadership, is what's happening in the unions, what's left of them, um, that that could conceivably happen, that teachers, some teachers groups were voting for Ford. I mean, uh, some boards were supporting him, like, it, despite the shambles in public education. So um, there's really structural, dramatic changes that have to happen. Um, I, want to, I, I want to circle to the union side because, you know, this is something that Ford bragged about. And by the way, I thought in the debates, I actually watched them um, eventually, um, I thought that Ford was surprisingly good. And to Nora's point, um, he, you know, he's Uncle Doug, right? And even when he makes grammatical errors, that's the kind of thing we would do, you know, my uncle would do. And he's likable, shakes everybody's hands when he walks into a room. Um, he like he's the working guy, even though he's not. Um, and and he and you're right. And, and even the highway that everybody objected to um, pulled really well in Ontario and clearly helped them sweep Brampton. So, I mean, I think that's something that really uh, the left has to contend with in terms of organizing. These are working class folk who voted for Ford. What are we gonna do? How are we gonna to talk to them? So Nora, I wanna get back to that class politics. How do you talk to the working class when unions are voting for Ford? Um, and what do we do there in terms of <laughs> moving forward? Yeah. Nora. Well, you know, I think that there's been a huge evolution in Doug Ford. And I, I, I wrote this, I wrote an, uh, an article about this for the Maple, um, you know, Ford was comfortable in that debate and, and, and was homey. It was, uh, uh, folksy, right? Like if you want, I watched that debate and then I watched a clip from 20, uh, 2018 and it was night and day. Like he was awkward, very uncomfortable, very like nervous. Right. Whereas you watch Andrea Horvath and it's her fourth, fourth rodeo. And it takes her 20 seconds to get to a single promise in her opening statement. And then says this, unbelievable line like i'm sure you all got something better to do tonight on a monday night than watch politics and it's like who do you think is tuning in andrea the folks that don't have anything better to do on a monday night who are actually looking forward to this like how are you so bad at this and that's i think where you do get this stink of the elite i mean she's not an elite a member of the elite i mean she's she's a career politician which has its own kind of stink but as you say trying to like uh, oppose the man, uh, like she's never opposed the man ever and has never given that kind of, there's, there's been renegades within caucus who've opposed the man and, and, and they often stand out in different ways, but as the, as the party itself leader, like has never, ever positioned, positioned herself like this. And, you know, the, the whole working class proximity tends to just kind of be like, a question of, of, of actual proximity. It's Hamilton. She's obviously working class because it's Hamilton, right? Which doesn't work, doesn't go anywhere. Those kinds of rhetorical tricks don't actually mean anything to people. And, um, you know, you're talking about higher education. You've got a party here that was promising to reduce gas prices. Literally not possible. You cannot just, as the provincial government 
reduce gas prices, unless you're going to like massively subsidize it and have the state pay for it and give it to people, which is not what they were promising. But what they could do in, in a flash is make education free. I mean, there's, there's so many policy tools that they have that they actually could instantly make things free for people. No one was talking about free uh, long-term care, right? We're talking about getting profit out of long-term care. No one was talking about free long-term care, right? Like some really basic tenants that the government actually can do. And people can smell that that's not authentic. It's not reaching them. It's not the issues that they care about. And they know that Andrea Horvath has as much chance of reducing the cost of gas as she does in getting government. I mean, sorry, everybody that's been just like injecting the Kool-Aid, but that's, that's just very obvious. And so Um, You know, and this is where I get very cynical about the NDP. I don't think that they have the capacity to connect with the working class. I think that if they if they did have that capacity, it would have happened (laughs) maybe once. Um, And and so that, you know, but I I get to not be in Ontario and I get to not have to wring my hands about who the heck I'm going to vote for every time because the NDP is not really an option uh, for me. So uh, that's me speaking from my uh, position of, um, I don't know if you'd say privilege or certainly uh, a stoop. (laughs) From Quebec, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I, uh, so I mean, there just in order to follow up. So Quebec Solidaire, like, w- what are we talking even in Quebec context? Yeah, well, I okay. So like, what's going to happen here? The Liberals are going to collapse further here as well. There's no question about that. There's a there's a new party that's been formed to to challenge the Liberals on Anglophone rights, uh, which won't do very much, but it is possible that they'll t- that they'll siphon off some votes in some places where the Liberals uh, normally don't have any opposition. Uh, Quebec Solidaire, um, they, uh, I mean, like if I was going to talk to other members of Quebec Solidaire, I would be trashing the party. I'd be very frustrated with it. I'd be talking about all the mistakes that they've made. They keep walking into these traps set by the CAC and then they do all these identitarian things like supporting Bill 96, which they absolutely should not have supported, which is this this language uh, rights bill that enhances uh, the French language in a whole bunch of different places or whatever. Um, However, Considering I'm talking to Ontarians where uh, it is like night and day, the kinds of stuff that we're talking about at the political level, I think that we're going to see Quebec Solidaire have a very bold, I mean, it's going to be probably a very similar platform to 2018. It will be very, very bold. It will have all of these things for free. Um, it will have other things too that, that you might not think about, like more holidays or more um, you know, free passes to public uh, parks, um, like to go camping and that kind of thing. Things that people will, will be very like touched by and moved by. Um, but I think that we're on a road for the CAC to have the exact same outcome as the Conservatives, have a have a stronger CAC caucus, probably more seats at the expense of a couple of liberal ridings. Um, and I do think that QS will probably get a couple more seats, but they're also they also are at risk of losing a couple seats, too, because there's they have some safe seats, but they definitely don't have all safe seats. So Alex, organizing um, a working class that many of whom now are voting conservative, even in the unions. Um, so there's that question. The other question is, to Nora's point, do you think that NDP is salvageable um, and uh, as, you know, even a social democratic alternative? I mean, my thing, and I just interject here, I, I've always said that, you know, at base, um, at least they were, for want of a better description, our Labour Party, which is to say at least they represented a certain base of the union movement. So bad as they might get, um, centrist as they might be, um, at least there was that. So so you, you work with that party, just like you would in the Labour Party in the UK, to try to move them left. Um, have those days gone, Alex? Well, the working class, the key thing is the working class. Here's the irony. Doug Ford and Pierre Polyev have no problem using the words working class. I don't remember the last time I heard those words come out of the mouth of someone like Andrea Horvath, right? And uh, Horvath's campaign, yes, she was terrible in the debate. It was like the walking dead, right? It's like, why are you doing this? You should be better at this. Yeah, this is your fourth or fifth kick at the can. And there was one moment in the debate that was quite telling. Ford was bragging about his union support now he's only got the support of like four unions. They're private sector construction unions who, who, who are doing the sort of corporatist, uh, more construction is more jobs, more dues. So it's, it's, it's a very narrow class analysis. No, it's not a class analysis. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's the worst form of uh, me first trade unionism rather than class conscious, class struggle trade unionism that looks at the, the interest of the broader working class. 
but uh, Ford was bragging about it and, and, and attacking Horvath saying, oh, you know, working class people don't support you anymore. Yeah, and, and Horvath's response was non-existent. And I was just thinking, it would be really easy. It's so like, you save support working class people. Okay, will you join me with the labor movement in calling for card check union certification? Will you join me with the labor movement in calling for anti-scab legislation? Will you join with the labor movement in calling for an end to Bill 124 and the 1% wage cap? Actual, put, will you commit to real policies that will benefit working class people? No, no, because you're not in favor of workers, you're in favor of Bay Street you're a part of the elite and the bosses, you're the bosses party, right? So a socialist could have said that very easily. I, I, Horvath could have even got close to that, but not, it was just waffling, just waffling. And, and yes, this is actually the lesson for the years to come, right? Like I, I'm not putting my faith in the, the NDP leadership election. Um, who knows? Uh, the Ontario NDP leadership election. Where the opposition is going to come is in the streets and on workplaces, right? The labor movement. Actually, the labor movement has had a, the labor leadership has had a criminal policy to Doug Ford. Their policy has been wait for the election. It's okay, don't worry, we don't have to fight today, wait for the election. Well, this is what happened with the late wait for the election policy. You got a Doug Ford landslide with, because there's no opposition. There was no opposition politically and no opposition really from the trade unions. They need to fight. Now, uh, if any Labour leader gets up and says, wait for the election now, I, I think uh, people are going to string them up by their toes. You've got to fight. Bill 124 is still on the books. So wage cap of 1% when inflation last, you know, the last recorded inflation is 6.8%. And it's 10% for food and 33% for gas, right? So uh, inflation, you know, getting working class contracts that keep track with inflation, that is the struggle on the streets, uh, in the workplaces. And that has to revolutionize the labor movement. And eventually, if the old... Uh, sort of bureaucrats get kicked out with, and put in place, people are willing to fight for working class people in the labor movement, eventually that can have a reflection within the NDP. But equal, you know, it's equally possible that something new turns up. It's not impossible that there's new organizations turn up. Um, like I, I don't think a new organization is likely anytime soon, I, but I also don't think a left resurgence in the NDP is likely anytime soon. And so the struggle will be uh, industrial and general anti-oppressive mass movement. And if I could just jump in there quickly, I mean, this mm -hmm. is where like we, we lament the fact that only 17% of, of Ontarians voted for Doug Ford, but this is actually where that's, that's actually very important and a strength because it means that he does not actually have the support. And so all of us on the left who, who know what it's like to be in an elected position where you know that the support is shaky, you know you have to be careful because maybe you only won with a small margin or maybe people picked you for a reason that wasn't related to your politics, you know how precarious that can be. Here we are in a situation where the, the majority of voting Ontarians voted against Doug Ford and the vast majority of Ontarians did not vote for Doug Ford. I mean, that is tremendously powerful. And whether that turns into some sort of new political regroupment or whether that turns into support for social movement organizing, I mean, it's there that these things will happen. And it's like, there's no doubt in my mind that that, that highway is not going to happen if people actually organize. Uh, here speaking on the Radical Reverend Show, of course, if you just tuned in, um, you've missed a lot. So do listen in on the podcast and we're on podcast in a few days. So they stay forever. Apple, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, speaking to Nora Loretto, author, journalist, and Alex Grant, editor, activist, both activists. We're all activists. Um, I, I, wanna, I don't want to drop the union thing because uh, to me, during the pandemic, the lack of action by uh, the union leadership, even though I was hearing from rank and file people all the time about absolutely, you know, life, you know, endangering workplaces, 
uh, their lack of, of, you know, the general strike that didn't happen, um, the, you know, that, that things just got grieved with no, you know, said, I, I got very, very tired of hearing we're not in a strike position. <laughs> and I was thinking, yeah, um, not in a strike position. That's how the union movement really got going, you know, when people use that as an excuse not to walk out from dangerous workplaces. It, it, so I, 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 we talked about the union, the NDP being possibly salvageable. How do we get rid of that kind of leadership that is extremely well paid, that sits at the boss's tables and negotiates with the bosses uh, and has really much more in common with the bosses uh, than they do with their rank and file? Um, how does that get changed? I'm going to go to you first, um, Alex, because you're involved in, in organizing there. Um, I, but I keep coming back. I mean, trade unions, yes, but I mean, a lot of rank and file workers, a lot of workers voted conservative. How do we change that? Well, in terms of the labor movement, like, like any structure that is not fully democratic, uh, whether that is a, a, a dictatorial regime or the leadership of Unifor, um, you, uh, it seems monolithic until it isn't. Right. And there can be very, very rapid turnovers. Right. That there is not. Actually, you saw that with the May Day demonstrations in, in Toronto, that you know, I've been very critical of the labor movement not mobilizing. And actually, they did mobilize for May Day on a, a very soft platform, broadly supporting the NDP's election platform. They, they mobilized as hard as they could, and they only brought out 2,000 people. It was a miserable turnout. And, and I, I remember in 2019, 2018 and 2019, in response to Doug Ford, there was like demonstrations of 20,000, 50,000 people at Queen's Park. It was only 2,000 people, even, and even though they pulled out all the stops. And that's because all of these compromises, people just don't care anymore. Now, I don't want to take that in an ultra-left way and say, forget about the trade unions. Trade unions are hugely important and are the basic uh, structures of working class organization. But these, the leadership of the movement that has been totally inactive does not have much political capital. And it just needs some organizing. It needs some good rank and file organizing that uh, actually I know people organizing rank and file committees within trade unions. Uh, within QP, within Unifor, within uh, OPSU, that there are people organizing within the teachers too. There are people organizing, uh, like I, I think in United States, yes, you, you had the Chicago teachers that, be, that uh, really did radicalize and organize some great struggles. And now you've got the Amazon workers doing that, which I guess is independent of the existing structures. But no bureaucracy is stronger than the desire of working class people to fight. The bureaucracy can slow it down and stop it for a period, but eventually the logic of the class struggle wins out. And, and so people have to organize at the base, join, you know, actually I've been part of a campaign called Picket Lines Mean Do Not Cross, about educating people about the necessity of picket lines. And, and strengthening those picket lines, be very enthusiastic response. So people do want to fight. It needs, there needs to be campaigns, there needs to be organization, and we're doing our best. Others are also doing very good work. And, and this layer of misleaders needs to be kicked out. Yeah, um, one of the, the exciting uh, labor actions that I think has happened uh, in Toronto is the, the organization of gig workers, you know, um, of which you know, there's so many these days. Um, so, uh, again, speaking, sort of, you know, unpacking the election results and what they might mean, um, part of what they mean for the next four years is a horrendous government in this province, a government that is now given carte blanche to cut, um, to privatize, uh, you know, people who are in disability are starving, um, they're living on the street. Uh, we're seeing unprecedented levels of, of poverty with inflation, as you have mentioned, both of you. Um, that's getting going to be worse. Um, housing is going to be, I mean, whatever rent controls we have, 
um, which are few and far between, will be lost. Um, we have developers in charge now of the province. They always have been, but now um, they are on steroids and in charge of the province. So we're going to see, and not to mention the environment, which we haven't really spoken about, but I mean, um, it's going to be full scale, let's destroy it <laughs> for the next four years. Um, so what do we like, what do we do? I mean, the, the, first of all, two, two, two sides of this question. What do we do to fight back? Um, uh, Alex, you mentioned organizing and unions, but what else? And uh, there's that. And then uh, what, and, and where do people find hope in this? There's a whole lot of cynicism, a whole lot of just why even bother, you know, where people are depressed coming out of the pandemic anyway. There's a lot of mental health issues out there. Um, it's like, I just rather stay home. So mm -hmm. how do we get people off the couch <laughs> into the streets, <laughs> give them hope um, when it seems pretty hopeless right now? And uh, how do we fight back? Nora. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I mentioned this already. I mean, this is like Doug Ford does not have a, a grip on popular support in this province. And so fighting back has to just look like it, 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 it always has when it's successful and effective, right? The teachers right on the cusp of the pandemic, the teachers were, were mobilizing in a way that we hadn't seen in a generation, right? And I got crushed by the pandemic, but I, that was just because I was crushed by the pandemic doesn't mean it can't come back, right? Like there's, there's, um, there's a lot of opportunities with the government that is as unliked as this government um, that are untethered from the partisan arena. And when you untether yourself from partisan politics, you know, tons of opportunities pop up. There's a lot of opportunities to start changing things with the neighborhoods or resisting things or, or whatever, or, or completely organizing things in new ways, right? Like if long-term care is something that people are really concerned about, like, you know, you have the ability to open a facility. <laughs> you know, people actually can do these things. Um, there are people that have resources out there that um, you know, might need to be pushed sometimes, but you, you can make those networks and find each other. It's, it's, we still live in community. Right. Uh, I think what Alex was, was talking about with um, that, that, you know, trade union leadership tends to be uh, very bureaucratic and static until something changes. And we have actually seen that in the last year, you know, the election of JP Hornick at OPSU is, is a really good example of an unmovable union president who was cozy with Doug Ford, who the membership didn't really support and who had an iron grip on the control of the, of the bureaucracy getting ousted by, you know, socialists organizing within the membership to try and change one of Ontario's biggest unions. Um, and also historically one of Ontario's most radical unions. Um, and so I think, you know, th that, that is happening in other places. Unifor is in the same kind of spot right now with uh, an establishment candidate who's very close to the previous president and with someone who was also on the executive previously, but has a very different vision for how the union's going to go. Is everything going to change at Unifor because, you know, Lanny Payne might get elected? No, of course not. But there are, there are moments like this that do exist and that we can force to exist depending on where we're located. So people, I mean, anybody that first of all was surprised that Doug Ford won, I, you have to reflect on where you're getting your news. <laughs> you have to reflect on where you're feeding your understanding of the world because that should not have surprised a single person. The, the surprises are more of the surprises that we talked about, like little kind of things, but nothing related to the overall structures of, of what's going on. And frankly, I, you know, I don't think that the voter turnout was that surprising either, because there's so many reasons for people to not go out and vote, uh, including how many people are still isolating themselves because of this pandemic. So, you know, I think that 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 we uh, that there is always hope that um, if anybody thinks that Doug Ford or Stephen Del Duca or Andrea Horvath was going to save the healthcare system or save the education system, they are very wrong. It is not going to be saved by any politician. We do not have a, we don't live in a revolutionary moment. We do not have revolutionary parties that are, are, are on the cusp of, or even anywhere in the realm of power. That means it comes from us right now. And, um, and there's always hope in that. And so if people are despairing, like you got to change the scripts that you're living by because there's so many reasons to not despair. Uh, yeah, well, thank you for that. Uh, I, I, I want to put in a plug here. I know that we're all postpartisan. We're, we're kind of moving in that postpartisan, but, but the problem is um, having been a politician myself for 12 years, I have to disclose that, right? <laughs> um, is that policy does save lives, right? Or it kills people. 
Um, and that is, it, and so we're, we're looking at a government that's going to be producing policy that's going to result in death. It's that simple and straightforward to me. And, uh, it, and you know, only governments and only politicians can, can put that into place. Um, and that has real ramifications. So don't want to, I don't want to give up on that. Um, there's organizing to be done. If we're doing it in unions, might as well be doing it in the NDP and anywhere else we can do it too. So I would just put that two cents in. Um, because, uh, because yeah, lives are at stake here. Alex, hope versus despair and all the rest of it. There is hope. <laughs> There's always hope. Uh, but the movement doesn't always go up. And sometimes it goes backwards and sometimes there's a delay. And uh, unfortunately, we, are, we do be, appear to be in a period of a mild reaction in that sense that the, there, there was a, a huge wave of struggle in 2000, uh, 2020 and 2021. You had the Black Lives Matter movement, you had um, you know, the indigenous movement. Yeah, there, there was uh, big struggles over paid sick days, but broadly, especially due to the actions of the, you know, the establishment leadership of the left, those movements went down to various forms of defeat. And now people are a bit demoralized and disorientated. But the, the movement will find a way out. But until it does, you should join an organization, join my organization, fight back, join other organizations and other campaigns, join something, educate yourself, educate yourself in socialist ideas, educate yourself in how to be a better organizer. And eventually there will be a focal point of struggle. It could be the labor movement fighting for wages that keep in track with inflation and beating the 1% pay cap. I, actually, I see a possible area of struggle being the environmental movement. Ford has just won an election on a platform of bulldozing the environment. That's, that's what he won on. You know, he's going to pave paradise and put up a parking lot. That's what he's going to do. I wouldn't be surprised if young people say no, and that there could be a reinvigoration of the environmental movement. And actually, and the Greens did okay, so maybe that also feeds into it. Not that I think the Greens would lead it, but it's symptomatic. So there could be an em em environmental struggle against the development plans of Ford, you know, just ripping up any environmental regulations. But you can never really, you can actually never tell what's going to burst out and be a focal point of the struggle and other things that like damp squib, nothing happens. Mm. So we have to prepare and organize and also ideologically organize. Socialism matters, reading books matters. You know, read Marx, yes. You know, yeah. <laughs> educate yourself. And so you know, I, I remember being active in the 90s and the 90s were awful, right? Almost nothing happened in the 90s, at least in Britain, nothing happened in the 90s. I lived there. And uh, we read books. We read books. And then eventually when movements started happening, so, oh my God, it's just like the books. And it gave us all the answers, <laughs> right? So you gotta be patient too. You gotta be organized and you gotta be patient. Yeah, well, revolution it, it, never it, happens it, until it happens, right? Nora, yes. And if I could jump in, yeah, I think like, you know, to your point, Sherry, about like governments create policy and people are gonna die under Doug Ford. People died under John Horgan, you know, like we have to be very sober about the difference between the parties that we're talking about here. The liberals set this system up for all of the death to happen in long-term care. As much as we want to blame it all on Doug Ford, Doug Ford did not have time from 2018 to 2020 to fix the entire system or to make the entire system even worse. So, you know, again, like the, and, and the parties respond to social movements and the parties respond to social activism. And there's a deep tradition of the progressive conservative uh, ethos in Ontario. That means that you can push a conservative party into the right direction, but it takes a ton of work. And that's, that's really the bottom line is where are you organizing and where are you putting your energy? And I totally agree with Alex. I think that the environment is going to be, it's going to be it. You've got a conservative party promising more trains it's like, okay, great. And stop that highway. The 413 is not going to get built. Like I'm, I'm, I am very, I, I'm from that part of the province. I'm very sure that people are going to resist that, uh, including Ford supporters and certainly people that didn't vote for him. Interestingly enough, in Perry Sound, Muskoka, which was the second riding where the Greens thought they might win and they came close, right? 
Um, it, it, and, you know, again, very conservative writing traditionally. Uh, you know, Norm Miller was there forever and ever, and Frank Miller before him, you know, Premier of the province. Um, and, you know, the, the, the pushback was about Ford not showing up after the storm. That was part of the pushback. Um, yep. You know, he didn't show up. You know, um, these are many of them people of some privilege in the Muskokas didn't show up to help them out, cut their ambulance service. You know, this this gave the Greens momentum plus voter awareness, you know, the, the candidate run over and over and over again. Um, you know, to me, and I totally re agree, I think the environment's going to be it. And I think it's, uh, I think what, what's going to propel the revolution. Um, and I think that it's far from utopian to want one because it's the only thing that's going to save us at this point uh, as, a, as a species, perhaps, um, is, uh, is the environment. I mean, how many storms, how many floods, how many earthquakes, um, how much land lost when the oceans rise will people take? How many deaths will we put up with until people say, mm, no, enough, um, this isn't working for me and start, to start taking back the reins of power themselves directly. So I have a lot of hope in that direction and not just in the young, but um, for, for anyone who uh, suddenly loses their home, um, this, this is going to be a, a, a big issue. Okay, so we just have a few minutes left. Um, uh, so, okay, four years. I, I'm still, you know, we're still having to deal with this province for years. Um, and I, I don't want to let the right wing off the hook now. The right wing's organized, they're smart. Um, clearly, the change in Doug Ford is not Doug Ford. The change in Doug Ford is an incredibly smart strategist that he's got in his office um, who are, have him on a leash and have trained him well. Um, and, it, and it's been a long, I think, a, a mistake of the left to, to um, you know, uh, assume that uh, the right wing is stupid. They're not, <laughs> and they have lots of money. Um, so what do we do? I, you know, like we, we're talking about organizing, but I wanna talk specifically about the rise of, can we use the word kind of neo-fascism, um, white supremacy. Uh, we're talking about something that is very real now. And, you know, we're seeing it on social media for sure. Um, and one of the things that the liberal said last night on, on TVO, uh, Dwight Duncan, he used to be cabinet minister and deputy premier, he said that when he was out knocking at the door as a liberal, he was hearing a lot of anger around Trudeau. Now this we know, those of us who are on social media, know this is a concerted effort and concerted program, right? Um, how, how do we deal with that? Because that's one of the top of mind issues that is freaking people out, right? Alex, mm -hmm. let's start with you and then we'll end with Nora. Well, if there's anger about Trudeau, stop supporting Trudeau, right? <laughs> Look, you cannot oppose the far right by cozying up to the establishment middle. You cannot, because people are angry at the establishment middle and they're looking for anti-established alternatives. They need a clear socialist anti-establishment alternative on the left. These people can be won over. They okay, can be won so over. Do we need so, to start a new party? Do we need to start a new party, Alex Grant? <laughs> ah, well, maybe it'll come to that. Like, I, 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 I don't think that's, yeah, that's not where I'm putting the effort right now, but we'll, there needs to be an anti-establishment alternative on the left, whether that's the NDP or something different is, you know, that's, it's, ideas matter. Mm. Ideas really matter. And whatever vehicle is carrying those ideas, good. But let's get, start with the ideas, the ideology. Uh, Nora, so fighting the right, and also do we need a new party in this uh, province and maybe in this country? Yeah, um, I think that um, fighting the right passes through radical politics on the left. There's no question about that. And we can say that over and over and over that it's like the, 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 the standard neoliberal politics of all three parties is a death march. And we can see where that death march leads. It's, it's nothing good. And we need to be organizing against that kind of logic in every single way that we can. Um, do we need a new party? I think 
That, that's a very interesting question. And normally I would say no, but I actually am more and more convinced that a new party might be the way to go. And I'm convinced by seeing what's happening with the smaller parties in Ontario. So you have the communists who I have, I have a lot of respect for them. They only ran 12 candidates and got 2000 votes in the province. Compare that to two new parties that ran a full slate each that got hundreds of thousands of votes, the new blue party and the Ontario party, one being anti-establishment, anti-vax, the other being very rooted in uh, in religion. And it's just like, there is literally nothing compared to that on the left. And, and you would be heretical to suggest that you should create something that would compete with the NDP. I mean, you're already heretical sometimes if you, if you sound like you're supporting the green party. Right. And so like that is organizing riding by, if you want to change partisan politics, you go riding by riding and you organize by riding. If you don't care about partisan politics, then you go through social movement structures. Maybe you go through unions, maybe you go through city council or municipal politics, whatever. But if you want to change partisan politics, you have to go riding by riding. And I do think that uh, an unserious, like we're not going to become government, solidly radical left-wing party. I think it is very potentially now that that's necessary. Well, thank you both. It's been a riveting conversation. Uh, if you're listening in out there in listener land, you have been listening to the Radical Reverend Show. I'm your host, Sherry DeNovo, and we've had Nora Loretto and Alex Grant on the show and our left, left or leftist panel to kind of dissect what happened. Um, in the Ontario election and of course leading up to it and leading from it as well. Uh, another reminder, please, please donate to the, the only independent radio station left in the GTA, um, you know, listener supported. So keep that going because boy, oh boy. Um, and, and, and quick take, we didn't talk about it and they just thought, oh, gotta talk about mainstream media. Media, generally, I'm gonna talk to you uh, uh, <laughs> about that. Uh, so like one minute each. Um, Mainstream media, part of the problem, hugely. I think we can all agree on that. It's a, a disaster. Is social media the alternative? What are the alternatives? Okay, Nora. Uh, no, we have to build our own alternatives, unfortunately, but we have no access. We need mass media and the left has no mass media. And I don't know how we build mass media. Uh, the, the mass media is destroying uh, our senses of ourselves, of our communities, of our understanding of the world. They're propping up people like Doug Ford. And, um, and it's, yeah, and it's a poison. Okay, Alex, medium. Social movement media. I think that's the way to go. And, and I think the business model for uh, mainstream media is broken, to be honest. And media with a message, media with a campaign, I think that is the, the way forward. And, you know, that's the way, the way we organize. And, and there are other examples of, you know, you gotta, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Okay, and that's a good note to, to leave on. And again, a good note to say, please donate to uh, this particular media, CIET 89.5 FM. Till next time on the Radical Reverend Show.